Hello and welcome to Frontiers, a podcast that gets intimate with cultural pioneers and business innovators to hear their inspiring stories. Brought to you by the Upside Innovation Studio. On the Monday, I got fired. But actually, I became officially the first media victim of the Gulf War. There was an article about it in the Daily Mail. (laughs) In this episode, Giles Peterson shares his journey to the frontiers of the music industry, including the birth of the Brownswood record label, his first forays in pirate radio, and how it all began with an electric railway set. I grew up in London um, as a sort of French boy whose parents happened to be living here. My dad's Swiss, my mum's French, and they sent me to the French Lycée. And uh, there was no music at all in the house. I mean, I mean, there was music coming out of my brother and sister's bedrooms, and my dad would play some classical music at the weekends. But And my mum would listen to French radio, so she was listening to a little bit of chanson and a lot of French talk. France Inter, Europe 1, all that. And, but my sister was really into sort of bread uh, and Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles. So that would be sort of coming out of her doorway um, in her bedroom. And my brother was actually into sort of prog rock and stuff. So he was into things like Grateful Dead and The Doors and Pink Floyd. So I suppose all of these energies were sort of getting inside my my head. I remember going to a record shop with my brother in Sutton High Street when I was about 10 or 11 and... He was going through the the racks and I sort of thought I'd copy him just to look cool, you know, because I needed to make it look like I knew what I was doing. But he just looked at me and said, what are you doing? You know, you don't know anything here. You know, don't embarrass me. (laughs) I mean, ever since then, I was like, I really want to go to a record shop and know what's going on. I left the French school because uh, my mum and dad didn't think it was working. So they put me into an English system. But I suddenly realised that the English kids were all about tribal sort of connections and and uh, music was really, really important. And what you belong to was really important. I didn't feel that in French school at the time or before. So you had to make a decision about what music you're going to be part of, whether you're going to be a punk, because it was the beginning of punk a little bit. So you had these kind of pseudo punk kind of kids coming through. A lot of kids were into like groups like Rainbow and Heavy Metal. That was quite popular. But I had, there was two other boys in the classroom who were into jazz funk. And uh, one of them, I went back to his house once and his sister had some really good records, which I didn't realise at the time. But suddenly I was listening to Earth, Wind & Fire and Bobby Caldwell and Dayton and Cameo records as a sort of 12, 13 year old. And I loved it. I sort of found the music that I, you know, would cherish. It just changed my life. I used to have an electric railway set in my garden shed at the back of the garden. That was my sort of escape. And I was really quite a keen electric railway set guy. had some good stuff right and uh, <laughs> anyway um, my 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 parents went away and I'd already got the bug for this jazz funk music that I was hearing around at my friend's house and I decided that weekend it was the first time that they'd left the house free ever they left and I spent the next two days getting twin decks on higher purchase with my friend Andrew 
and we managed to cobble up enough money just to put, to put a deposit down and we'd pay 10 quid a month or something to pay back for this Citronic Thames mixer which was a double deck with a cassette player in the middle of it so you could actually do parties and it had the lights and everything and the speakers so you could actually hire yourself out to do sort of weddings and stuff but you could also record your mixes and your radio shows so literally when my parents came back on the Monday the electric always set had been sold and uh, the decks were in the in the garden shed and my parents looked my mum was just absolutely mortified just absolutely just, you know this is also um, my O level year it was you know right in that time of, of, of studying so my mum had that reaction to me and thinking you know this is going to ruin his studies um, because she knew she knew that once I was obsessed by something I wasn't going to let go of anything else and within a few months I was recording shows with my mate next door I wanted to be Robbie Vincent Robbie Vincent used to have a show on on Radio London one of only a few sort of soul jazz funk shows that you could hear and my friend wanted to be John Peel so he was like he called himself Ross Travone his real name was Ross Tinsley and I called myself Giles Peterson because my real name is Giles Murley but if I was going to do pirate radio that there was only one Murley in the in the book so they would have found out who I was really quickly and at the time I was going out of a girl called Natalie Peterson and she changed her name by Depot because her name was actually um, Natalie Natalie Huckett but her f- at school they used to call her something else so they changed the name to Peterson and I thought that's quite a good name so I'm going to call myself Giles Peterson so suddenly it was Giles Peterson and Ross Travone and we set up a radio station called Civic Radio In London there was quite a strong FM pirate scene that was also really quite obsessive for me so the jazz funk was one thing and the music was obviously one thing but I was also really into just sort of fiddling about with my radio dial and listening to pirate stations so we managed to find out who this guy built these transmitters and got hold of him and bought a rig for 25 quid he told us how to use it and then um, I started recording these shows uh, 45 minutes on one side of a C90 and my friend would do the other 45 and we'd record it and then I managed to get my dad was really into it and he and he, he used to drive us up to Epsom Downs which is the nearest sort of high place um, about three miles away from where I lived in Sutton and um, and we'd literally get the transmitter connected to the cassette player connected to a car battery there was to an aerial and there was that were the sort of four link points press play um, broadcast over London or South London and we and we'd leave a phone number on the shows that we did and that was the phone number of the local phone box so then we'd all just run over to the phone box and wait for the phone to ring and uh, and then after 45 minutes we'd go back and turn the cassette round to the other side and we had a couple of phone calls you know and it was amazing it was like oh my god we're actually being heard and all that stuff and so that was really how it started I wish I'd have taken a photograph. There's nothing. I haven't got anything. I'm really gutted. It was pre all that sort of social media, obviously, and phones. The the government started making some changes in the, the rules for radio stations, and they gave out one license. And Jazz FM got the license. And so, you know, I was one of their sort of joker cards, I suppose, as the new generation, and they gave me a show on a Saturday. A couple of years into being on Jazz FM, the first Gulf War happened, and 
and there was a massive peace march going on in in Hyde Park that day and I just used Jazz FM to tell everybody to go on the peace march and to bring their music with them and to play my show out and I just played lots of peace records that day and uh, eventually well there was an immediate complaint straight to the phone in the studio which my friends answered the phone you know the guy said no you can't be promoting a peace march and my friend said off you old not realizing that it was the chairman of the radio station at the time so on the monday i got i got fired um but actually i became officially the first media victim of the gulf war there was an article about it in the daily mail funny enough the one thing i really appreciate and um at the age that i'm at now is that i almost when i look back i kind of did everything and made every mistake you could make and learned about the game by making those mistakes i got a call from a guy called hein van der rey who was the the md of polygram records and said look we'd like you to come and work for polygram um phonogram records they gave me a, a label to put my releases out under which they owned what i really enjoyed about running a record label was i really enjoyed the fact that that on one hand i could go out at night and everyone would know me as a dj but in the daytime no one really knew me as a dj it was almost like and and then i could really concentrate on working with the artists so my kind of ego wasn't really affecting the artists they just saw me as an A&R guy slash producer and I think that was really good and I think it, it kept me quite sort of grounded to not always be the sort of headline you know just to, to, to be in the background and to be able to advise I felt that was a nice balance for me throughout the whole of my career in a way but it came to a point when I really wanted to do more radio and get the message out on a on a bigger level and so that's when I sort of joined Radio 1 and took a few years out of running a record label and then after a few years I was running a club um on a on a Thursday at a place called Cargo and uh, this young black guy came over to me one night and he gave me a CD and as you do I was getting stuff given to me all the time of course and I happened to actually listen to this CD when I got in the car on the way home and I put it on and it was a version of Equinox by John Coltrane sung amazingly and I was like wow this is incredible what a fantastic version it was a jazz version and it was a singer called Jose James and I loved it and I was like, oh, I really need to put this music out, you know. And it gave me the, it gave me that sort of hunger again to release records, and and so that was pretty much the first record I released I, I, on a new label, which I called Brownswood. The the first three releases, we we did a kind of piano artist called Elan Mailer, which which again I think was probably ten years ahead of its time because if you look at labels like Erased Tapes and artists like Nils Fram today, you're like, oh yeah, I was on that, but it was just not ready for the time. We put out three albums with him actually which was brilliant these are actually some of my favourite records Scheme for Thought um, so that was kind of post-classical music and then we put out this sort of 
big big orchestra um, heritage orchestra which uh, cost us pretty much all the budget we had on save for that first year it cost us about 20 grand just to, to do a session at, <laughs> at Abbey Road and then the other artist was Jose James and so they were the first three and I just was I was bitten by the bug again and so we reached our our 10th birthday the year before last and you know we've managed to get through a very difficult period for the music industry I think that one of the things that people appreciate respect is the labels that were founded 10 11 12 years ago because that was probably the darkest time there ever has been for record labels because there was no sort of formula to sell vinyl anymore and there hadn't been any kind of development in digital and 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 all of that so at, at that time the labels that that set up then were really by people that were passionate about music so now that things have become easier to a degree um, you know we're beginning to reap the reap the rewards a little bit and I think also as a record label we've we've been able to um, you know release some, some decent records in the last couple of years mainly on the jazz side of things so whether it's Shabaka Hutchins or Youssef Kamal or people like Zara McFarlane and uh, and uh, Daimi Arosina it's been really really great to have a label recently one thing that I always do is even if it's a difficult decision to tell people what you think that is good or bad, just tell them how you feel and it all, you know, honesty is the best thing and always never put something off. You know, it's like you have an idea for an artist and you were like too scared to ask them. I remember with Carl Craig, we put out the Inner Zone Orchestra album and I remember avoiding his phone calls because I didn't really want to deal with the inevitable argument about remixes or stuff you know and I, I don't know why that strikes me that particular moment with Carl but I do remember thinking sometimes I'd put things off and I think that there's just no point in it because you're in this game and you know just be straight and you can make mistakes and people appreciate your honesty in the long run even though at the time it might be painful for both of you you know and I think that you know there's so much in this game as well in the music game there's just so much sort of you know positivity <laughs> sometimes you just got to be realistic and I think people appreciate that a lot so I think one of the habits is to try and be really straightforward I mean sometimes you need to give yourself a little bit of time to think as well um, before just making that sort of rash statement which you might regret so you know just uh, that these things come with wisdom and, and time don't they listening to the frontiers podcast brought to you by the upside an innovation studio that partners with the world's leading brands to find design and build business opportunities on their frontiers to find out more visit theupside.net if you enjoyed this story subscribe to frontiers and post a review on itunes it really helps other people discover the show and if you've never told a friend about the podcast try it and see how grateful they are